Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Eye Show. I am Jason Napolitano, and on the line is Chris Sheridan. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great today. Another uh, another day. Oh, I did. By the way, I did not call you Mr. Chris Sheridan. I called you Chris Sheridan. I'm sorry about that. Oh, that's that's really Mr. Chris Sheridan. Was Sheridan a, to you. Was yeah. a breach of. How about master? How about just breach master of Chris? Let me let me let me ease into if, that uh, one with Mister. How about we'll start with that first, Mister Master. We'll start with that right. first. Okay. We'll, we'll move. We'll move forward as time goes on and see where it takes us. So. All right, so we have an interesting show today on uh, the Cosmic Eye Show. Thank you for uh, for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Um, I am the author of If You Can Worry, You Can Meditate. Chris is the author of The Spirit in the Sky. Those are both available on Amazon. Um, if you can, as we always say each week, please do support us. We are at Cosmic Eye dot, excuse me, we are at anchor.fm slash Cosmic Eye. That is where uh, you can donate. And you can check us out at CosmicEye.org. So this week we have a special treat. Uh, we're we're going to examine chapter 20, which is the last chapter of Manley Hall's lectures on ancient philosophy, which is subtitled Companion to the Secret Teachings of All Ages. Uh, it's a very interesting book, and I would call this uh, kind of one of his, his more, I don't know, more underrated books in a sense, um, that people do have it. And it's widely available, but I don't know that as many people look at it or read it as do the secret teachings because it's much, you know, secret teachings is much more uh, sexy, as it were. It's got the beautiful illustrations. It's got the occult stuff. It's got the, you know, the Rosicrucian and Freemasonic symbolism. And, you know, it's, it's kind of more in the, in the realm of, of the sort of popular imagination. This is... A very important book, though, and you know, I, 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 I read the beginning of it as did did Chris. Um, you know, we read the preface to it, and we also then read this uh, this this last chapter because it's kind of interesting. This last chapter, Chris brought this up, is uh, sort of a it's a culmination, isn't it, of this whole book, in a way, right? It is, and so and why why it is why it is yeah yeah it's and not only that here's all the information in the book and then for the final chapter it's yeah and so what does this mean what does this <laughs> what mean does it, and how do i yeah. and how do i apply it also right right well that is really the meaning and i that's think he gets main... at that in this chapter yeah and so that's what's so so great about this book and you know really this 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 podcast is a kind of an exploration for for you guys to listen to but also for chris and i to explore uh, Manley Hall's work in a little bit of a different way, in a little more systematic way. And you think, well, why would you want to start in this last chapter first? Uh, but, you know, we actually found this in uh, in another Manley Hall's works, which we're going to be talking about uh, very soon. But, there, you know, there's a oftentimes it's important to understand why you're doing something, what the the import of it is, you know, some sort of definitions and and understandings in order to get the kind of lay of the land so that you can wrap your head around a subject in a way that you can actually put it to use. You know, even before studying that information, like for example, like say you're learning how to, um, you know, make a pot or something, you, you know, you kind of, if you want to kind of see an overview, look, this is a pot, this is what it's good for. This is why you're using, you know, this is why you're going to make it. And this is clay and, you know, this is what, you know, these are some of its properties and so on. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like an overview. So it's interesting that Manley Hall puts this goal of philosophy at the end of this, and he does it very specifically. Um, because at the beginning, when you read the preface, it kind of does tell you where it's going as well. So he introduces it, uh, but then he also kind of backs it up as well at the end of this. And so, you know, we're probably going to do future podcasts and, and possibly some other work, um, looking at these these different ideas so really and you'll, you'll understand what i mean more as we as we talk more about this book and then the chapters so it's it's not necessary of to have read this book by the way uh or to have read this chapter to get anything out of this podcast today so i don't want anyone to be intimidated uh, by that but we would highly recommend that if you do want to get this book it is a very valuable book and it's something that you will go back to and and use as a reference uh, for the rest of your life, if it if it connects with you like it does with me. And um, one more note, if I may add, please, uh, please do. In relation uh, between this book 
and the Secret Teachings of All Ages. This was published in 1929, uh, a year following the publication of the Secret Teachings. Uh, so in a way, it seems like it came later, but actually these chapters uh, are lectures that he had given in Los Angeles and San Francisco uh, in 1928, before the Secret Teachings was, it was in printing, <laughs> it was being made, but it hadn't been released yet. So these were actually lectures in anticipation of the release of the secret teachings. Mm. So he gave them in the spring and fall. So I guess a few of them were before the release and a few were after. Um, but it's, it was almost like as an introduction to what might be in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, and not only that, what's in behind all that, what's, What's in all of the book? What's the unifying element? What's, uh, you know, what's it really about? Not just all the information, but what does it mean? And you know, why did he say that there were 50, uh, instead of 50 different structures or traditions, there's really 50 different versions of the same story. And he said that at the and, beginning of the secret teachings, right? That was that's in yes, that, yes, in yeah, that that's a kind yeah. of an instruction to mm -hmm. uh, to the book, you know. And that's um, I think really at the heart of this chapter on what is philosophy, the goal is of philosophy, excuse me. And in the secret teachings, the very first sentence in the introduction is, "Philosophy is the science of estimating values." And so even that big book, it's the first word is a philosophy. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's why this is really vital um, for an understanding of, you know, also his perspective, his point of view, mm -hmm. why Mr. Hall chose symbolical philosophy instead of, you know, magic symbols or something like that. It was you know, very um, purposefully and specifically done. And this is why. Great, uh, great point. And I think, too, sometimes we get, uh, you know, we get a sense that philosophy is this complicated, abstract, abstruse, you know, kind of daydreaming or something that goes on. And this is not the type of philosophy that, that Manly Hall is engaged in. It's a very practical day-to-day -day sort of um, wisdom that can be applied in your life. And that, well, he defines it right here. Yeah, go ahead and read that, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right in this chapter 20, the goal of philosophy, uh, he goes, philosophy is the pondering of problems, the quest for solutions, the effort to organize life so that by conforming his life to the dictates of rationality, man may come to enjoy the maximum of peace, efficiency, and individual completeness. So he's looking at philosophy as being uh, really a prescription, uh, but the process is pondering problems, finding a solution, and and then organizing your life so you fit the solution, mm. so you yeah. solve the problem, yeah, and have a more efficient, maximum, uh, harmonious life. Um, and the that's it, yeah. No, <laughs> you know, exactly. really, I mean, that's and this philosophy that he's that he's talking about. Um, you know, is is a pretty it's a pretty sp specific branch of philosophy, and it's you know it is certain it's certain ideas that you know would be considered part of the of ancient philosophy or the universal wisdom, uh, the ageless wisdom is another way of putting it. You know, the great uh, the great chain of being, uh, you know, is is tied into this and this idea of this golden chain of wisdom and stuff that was handed down from philosopher to philosopher and through these different ages and. That, I, that idea was picked up on by, by theosophy. And some of these ideas are somewhat theosophical, but they go back even further. And really, they're kind of a, in a long chain of what might be called Neoplatonic philosophy. Uh, even though he does stretch the idea of Neoplatonic and Neoplatonism um, to include Eastern thought as well. So he's looking at a more universal, but somewhat 
modified version or sort of, um, I guess, an archetypal version of Neoplatonism. Would you agree with that? Can you define that? Well, yeah, but what do you when you say Neoplatonism? What's... Well, it's the it's the the wisdom tradition that started in in you know he kind of goes back and starts it in India and he talks about the laws of Manu and the Brahmanic tradition and then it goes through Egypt into Greece through Orpheus uh, to Plato and Socrates, if I'm not mistaken, and um, then. Uh, I think he goes on to the thing is, is it includes more and less different things. But then Neoplatonism basically is a revival of the Platonic and Socratic philosophies of about 500 B.C., roughly and a bit before. Um, And which would have been the same time, roughly, as. Pythagoras, and, Socrates, yeah, exactly. Confucius, Buddha, Buddha. They were all, all in that, about 500 yeah, and he, ish and, uh, BCE. Exactly. And he includes them in that, that wisdom tradition. So, you know, it's kind of a misnomer to say Neoplatonic, but they kind of use that as a sort of catch mm. as a catch-all in essence. There is a strict okay. Neoplatonic tradition, on the other hand, right. that does include, you know, it's, it's Greek in nature and it does have antecedents and you know, in Egypt, and it goes back to Pythagoras, and or you know, and the Orpheus is a sort of more more mythical, sort of half mythical um, individual who who initiated a lot of these ideas. And so, so they're all kind of mixed together, and then you can trace. But they all serve the same purpose. They all right? they all they seem do. to point towards the same thing yeah. with the unification of your spirit um, and soul wholeness of your being, mm-hmm. and uh, harmony with uh, with nature and and mankind. Exactly. And one of the Um, big ideas in it is that there is this universal archetypal wisdom, you know, that the universe is is running by. So it's not just a random conglomeration of chance. There are universal laws behind the scenes that are that are ordered and there is purpose to our existence and, and there is a connection and a chain of being and so on that 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 guides our lives so it's not random you know and and there are certain things that it shares in common too most of these traditions that are included in this sort of chain of ancient wisdom or you know uh do have uh the concepts of karma the concepts of reincarnation the concepts of um a unity behind the diversity so these are some of the themes, the common themes that run through this. And it kind of, you know, we, we can get into more of that in, in, in other shows. Uh, but but that's a that's a rough that's a rough sort of mm-hmm. outline of that. I mean, I think that makes enough sense for us to get our footing, doesn't it? It does, especially the part about the unity behind all the diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this chapter, Hall gets into, you know, some of the problems of diversity. Uh, not maybe what we think about diversity in uh, today's terminology <laughs> language. Yeah, yeah it's um, this diversity is a way of seeing uh, to include everybody mm-hmm. um, that include this one, include that one, include all the different parts and all the different all the different things. But uh, the kind of the dark side of that is that what you're doing is you're creating barriers and degrees of separation, and with that can come suspicion or animosity, Mm -hmm. or mistrust, uh, or, you know, even worse than that is just a separation from the heart is saying that you are, you are that other. Yeah. And I am, I am this here. And uh, never the twain shall meet, even though we're, we all breathe the same air. So yeah, we can talk about some of the problems of of division. It's, it's It's really the dark side of diversity not the inclusive side but the one that's actually exclusive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah and i think you're, you're right about that that's a great point it's and he makes he, he goes into great great explanation in this in this chapter to to kind of uh point out those those dangers and so on by giving a lot of different examples of of you know how and again it's not diversity in the sense of um cultural diversity and you know a diversity of different peoples and so on it's a diversity in the sense of like looking at the world of like for example in Taoism it would be focusing on the 10,000 things 
that are created mm -hmm. as opposed to the Tao, which is behind them that created those 10,000 things that, yeah. that, that unifies them. Uh, that might be a Taoist way well, of looking it's, at it. Yeah, good point. It's like getting, uh, it's forgetting that the Tao is connecting everything mm -hmm. and thinking the ten the ten thousand things are all these separate. They're all things. separate, exactly. And and see, I think both can be true. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, you can have this diversity, and I guess I'll put that in quotes uh, because maybe it needs its own uh, context. Um, all these ten thousand things, uh, all these thirty one flavors, uh, but underneath it, you know, it's all ice cream or it's mm -hmm. all one thing. Yeah. And if and if you lose sight of that, I think that's where the problem of materiality and division and diversity yep. and all these different groups, we forget that we're all part of the same family. Yes, there's this group and there's this group and maybe these two, two groups don't get along. Well, guess what? Family members don't always get along, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, but we're still but we lose that kinship. Uh, and, and that's really the danger. You can have your, um, the example I used to illustrate this unity and diversity um, is the concept of having a favorite food. That is a universal thing. It is a one-liner. <laughs> Everybody in the world probably in some version or another has in mind a favorite food. One thing they like to eat more than another thing. Mm -hmm. Correct. Sure. I mean, yeah. you could assume, you know, maybe the vast majority have some people I'm sure would just like to have food and they don't care what it's like. Um, and then unfortunately, that's a vast number of people. But um, but to have a favorite food now, it doesn't mean everybody has the same favorite food mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the same favorite. There could be a billion different or 10 billion um, different favorites, but they would all be that one thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that comes then the mutual respect. Well, this is my favorite food and I would get sick if I ate your favorite food. I think it's gross and disgusting. I can't imagine how you can eat that. Um, but hey, if that's your favorite food, that's your favorite food. Knock yourself out. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's you can have that difference. Uh, but the difference is really on surface. Yeah. Uh, what's underneath it is. I love this food and that other person loves that food. We're more the same, even if our food is completely different. Uh, it's, it's on that level. And I think really that's where a philosopher mm -hmm. uh, has some ground uh, to stand on, or actually maybe it's the arena in which a philosopher operates is at that human level, that heart level, that soul level, mm -hmm. the universal, like you're saying, archetypal, um, that is the same for everybody, even if everybody has a different idea about it. Yeah, yeah, um, great point. Yeah, so that the the, the universal is then the the idea of um, a, a favorite food, and then you know the particular of the diversity then is the idea of a specific favorite food that's your subjective favorite food. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. So, you know, and I think he goes to great lengths at this in during this chapter to to really um, emphasize the idea of the unity, uh, the unity of, of, of humans. Um, because, you know, I think, and especially at this time, this is after World War II and prior, excuse me, after World War I and prior to World War II in 1929 when this was written. So it was still a very tumultuous and uh, pretty chaotic time. And also, mind you, it's right before the Great Depression as well, right before the crash. Right before the crash, right? yeah. So it was so, the height of the Roaring Twenties. Sure. Um, so you know, rampant materialism and and not much yeah. and not entirely unlike our, our own time in a lot of ways. Right. right. So, um, you know, so the stress on the idea of the universal and by this, he means really that we're all of the same spiritual substance, that we are all part of, you know, the universal mind, God, the spirit however you want to put it, this indivisible oneness that exists, that we are all uh, living in and of and, you know, which we live and move and have our, our being, as, as Paul said, you know, it's the very substance of life itself. It's the idea of this, you know, this unity um, behind all of this, uh, this all, all these differences and all this, you know, this seeming, seeming diversity. Um, and again, it's not to say that the diversity does not exist. It does not say that diversity is not important. It's not a beautiful thing. It's just saying behind this, there's a unity that's holding it all together. That is the source 
And so don't get caught up in the idea that we're so different because you do this and I do that. We're still of the same, the same source and the same substance. And I think that's what he's, you know, because he goes to great lengths to point out how, you know, divisions, you talked about this a little bit in the beginning, um, divisions and so on between people actually end up creating disharmony so that, you know, people fight over borders and they want to, you know, invade their, the neighbor, you know, that has uh, some resource that they want or need and, and all this. And he, and he kind of likens that to, you know, he's like, if you had that unity consciousness, um, which he calls, what was it? Identity? Uh, Gospel, the gospel of identity, of identity really. which is a strange we'll get term. into that that's pretty far gospel of identity that's right which might be you know more you know modernly called uh unity consciousness or something like that that if you had that unity consciousness and you recognize that spiritual oneness with everyone that stealing from somebody else or invading another country or you know taking something from someone that didn't belong to would be like robbing your left pocket to pay your to put money in your right pocket or something. You know what I mean? Because he's like, he, he really... Yeah, at great effort and great expense yeah. and perhaps even pain. Yeah, to, um, to, to, to take yeah. something from yourself, essentially. And he said, you know, it puts us, when we really understand, it's not just an intellectual concept, because he does go into great lengths to say what a danger that is. Like, you know, people talk about unity. They talk about mm-hmm. the spirit in man and all this stuff and the spirit of humankind and all this thing that holds us together. And then at the same time, you know, they're plotting you know, they're plotting evil against their neighbor, right? He's like, well, when you really embody that and when you realize it, he used the term realization, when you have that realization, you can't do that stuff anymore. And this is one of the purposes of philosophy is for us to have that realization so that we have this experience of oneness so that we don't even think about doing the things that occur you know, the negative things that we might do if we didn't have that realization, if we didn't have that understanding. And I think that's one of the main purposes then in his mind of, of studying philosophy and understanding how all these different ideas and mythologies and religions and philosophies work together, finding those under, underpin and truths, the archetypal truths, unpacking them, and, and then saying, like, look, we agree on so many of these different things. Why are we fighting about these different, you know, minutiae of details? Right? And I think that's a really important idea today that's getting swept under the rug in the, in, in the especially in the academic world. And I'm not going to go on a big tirade about that. But, you know, we emphasize the difference of things so much more than we do the unity of things any longer. And that goes with... Very well put. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, it's unfortunate, right? uh, but maybe we need to flip that. I mean, we definitely we need, to, need flip to flip it around, around, don't we? And you recognize the yeah. diversity of things. That, and again, he points that thing out. Remember, you, you you brought that up about the gnat and the is it the gnat and the star that they're and the star. Yeah, he's not suggesting that the gnat and the star are yeah. the same. Um, and that's a pretty broad, yeah, vast, right. I guess, gap between a, a very small thing and a very, very large thing. Um, but they still live in the same universe. They still uh, are bound by the same laws and rules and essentially are derived from the same, from the source. same source. The universe. There's it. There's like, there's, there's no, nothing else. You know, that's the where. Yeah, there's nowhere else know. to go uh, or to get from. So really to, you know, st- steal from your neighbor is to steal from your own yeah. cupboards. I mean, it, it really uh, is that. And this unity consciousness is hard. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that sound like I just, sound just, like just, a joke? Just, Listen, people, unity yeah. consciousness is really hard. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> Let me tell you, just the other day, I was, well, you know, just the other day, I was just watching the news or looking at, uh, mm-hmm. you know, around and, you know, there's so much division. Of course, we're in an election year sure. right now. And, you know, there's all this, you know, that's, it wouldn't be fun if it wasn't for all the division and all that, but it's, but do we need that? We maybe we should, and we'll get into this government idea that Mr. Hall has mm-hmm. in this chapter, uh, very idealized uh, as he should be. 
but I see this division, and it's then it's got to be this. Well, if it isn't my way, if you don't agree with this, then you're then you're a Nazi, or you know, or some kind of a you know hyperbole, and it's blown out of proportion, mm-hmm. and uh, all or nothing, either with me or you're against yeah. me, and um, you know, a lot of that's hyped sure. up. I know, um, but it's you know, so it is hard. It is hard to see. Uh, when everyone's, you know, clamoring to be, you know, identified as as different and um, this faction or this group or this letter uh, in a group of letters, uh, each signifying a different, you know, facet of this uh, this one uh, movement um, or community, and you know, then to say, well, geez, you know, I'm brothers and sisters with all these people. These are all my, you know, I love all of them. They are my family. Uh, even the ones you really, really disagree with. I mean, it's really, really mm-hmm. hard. Exactly. Um, to do that. So he's talking about really advanced things, but that is the goal of the philosopher. And, you know, to really see beyond the division and um, these, you know, the animosities and the things that, that mm-hmm. come up. You know, um, but really when you look at it it is if it's a, say you take a country like the united states um that is supposed to be a unity united states it's all the individual um, you know municipalities and principalities mm-hmm. uh, these different states have their own autonomy individualism and things but there's also a unifying element that brings them all together and has this uh, unifying strength that we are all under this this same flag um, but that's, we can't even do that. All the red states versus mm-hmm. the blue states or it's the this, the left and the right and the, the this and the that. And, you know, it's, uh, in the, it might as well just be the X's and the mm-hmm. O's. But then again, it's, you know, there's more unity in the X's and the O's because if you don't have both black and white chess mm-hmm. <laughs> pieces, you don't have a chess yeah. game. You know, you need the, these opposites and these divisions to, to be able to play the game. But to lose sight of that, um, and to then put into uh, reverse that and practice, oh, this is unity. This is even this person politically who I disagree with. We're we're aligned. We're together. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really hard it to do. Yeah, uh, you know. But I think environmentally, we can look at the Earth. I think a lot of us know whether we agree with this theory or that theory. Uh, that what we do to the ocean, what we do to the land, what we mm-hmm. do in the landfill comes back yeah, to there's us. Yeah, no, there's uh, no I, out I think there. we're beginning to see that we live in a exactly. closed circuit. Uh, no matter where you fall, you know, on it politically, I think, you know, that's that's and pretty much you, that, you've, uh, you've, obvious. Yeah, you hit on this something point. really big. I think that, you know, and that's, again, that it kind of ties into into the idea that he uh, that you were just alluding to that where he's talking about this um, this one one world government idea and this by the way is not the one world government that's in all these conspiracy theories although some of these ideas have been taken out of context and applied to wacky conspiracy theories this is more of a philosophical idea and it's an idealized um, idea uh, sort of scenario where he he hypothesizes a a one world government that would be led by philosophic the what he calls the philosophic elect which would basically be philosophers wise people who are qualified to 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 lead and to help us all in a unified way to move towards uh, a better a better world in essence right and it's kind of, you know, like a, like an idealized version of maybe what the UN is, is supposed to accomplish, I guess. Uh, but these ideas come from, um, from Francis Bacon, uh, both from his book, uh, New Atlantis, and the, uh, the other one, Novum Organum. Um, and so, you know, he draws out some of these ideas and explains them. Uh, some of this stuff is also discussed in his Secret Destiny of America, by the way, if you've, if you've read that one. Uh, well, just to uh, put mm-hmm. a context on it, um, Sir Francis Bacon, uh, an English, uh, Englishman, uh, very vast intellect, uh, writer, um, maybe would have been 
act of around 1600 in England, early 1600. So he would have been, um, you know, at the same time as Shakespeare was writing. This is kind of early in the Renaissance or, you know, Maybe he was Shakespeare. It happened. He, <laughs> yeah, that's some people believe that. This uh, Bacon to Shakespeare uh, controversy. That's and, actually in the, in the 16th uh, And he also had a hand in editing. Yeah. yeah, it is, right? Yeah, that that was um, definitely an interesting thing. So, this, so Bacon is an interesting character, uh, interesting intellect, mm -hmm. I guess you could call him. And uh, he even had a hand in editing. I don't know how much, uh, but I think he did put in some of the or maybe replaced uh, or reinserted some of the symbolic and esoteric elements of the King James Bible. Uh, but in his new Atlantis, he was in some ways, he was really actually pointing at America, yeah, wasn't exactly. he? As being the possibility of it. Atlantis didn't seek into the ocean. We just forgot about it. And, and now that here was, it is again, that this was new hypothesis. world. And we have a chance to establish, you know, this vast land and resources uh, start fresh with these really ancient ideas, um, but to uh, begin a new, yeah, new, yeah. new order. And it, you know, it goes from, from those ideas, then Manley Hall kind of extrapolates that out to, to, to think about how we would take that ideal setup, you know, this idea of Atlantis, this new Atlantis, and actually set that up on a worldwide basis, because he speaks about how national strength has, and I'm quoting him here, national strength has become so dominating as to require a code more ample, a revelation more specific. Uh, because he's speaking before, like how revelations and, and uh, spiritual teachings would come to groups and more tribal oriented cultures. And he's saying, you know, now with nation states being as powerful and as possibly dangerous they are with the weapons that they have and the technology that they have, we have to enlarge our vision and nothing short of a universal uh, scheme of salvation, a universal order to, uh, to living, to the government, to philosophy. Uh, is going to suit us in the future. And I mean, he's really way ahead of his time in a lot of these ideas. And, you know, it, it, you know, we can see the apotheosis of this idea of national borders and, and, and power and the struggle for land and, you know, grabbing up other people's territory. Because this, again, this is before World War II. This is pre-Hitler, pre-Mussolini, pre-Tojo. So, you know, he's, he's, he's seeing this and then he, and then we see, oh my God, look at what happens during World War II when people don't get this idea. Every nation thinks it's a law unto itself and wants to take the world over. Right. And he's, he's calling this before any of that even occurs. Before, before the atomic, the atomic bomb. bomb. Yeah. We're, and we're many nations now could wipe out you know, yeah, and you brought up life. such a great point Probably. about the environment. It's like everyone in the world knows that the that the environment is in severe trouble, that the earth is, is groaning under the weight of humanity and its technology and poisons and chemicals. No one disagrees with this. There are people who don't want to believe that. There are people who disagree about how that happened. There are people who, you know, don't care. But I don't think anyone will acknowledge, will yeah. say it's not true if you really press them into a corner. Cause I mean, even they can see, Oh, look, there's, you know, there's islands of garbage floating around in the ocean. And I remember when I was a kid, there were no islands of, of plastic floating in the ocean. Think about this. I mean, this is just a, it's such a stupid thing, but I remember when I was a kid and you could go to the store and buy a piece of fish and it was affordable. And that was not that long ago. You could go buy a piece of salmon, a beautiful piece of salmon for, for a reasonable price. Go try and buy a piece of salmon now. That tells you the scarcity of fish and that tells you about the health of the oceans and the life in those oceans. And that the oceans are the barometer of our health on this planet. And we're at what, 80%, 80% ocean or something or more, something like that, right? So, yeah, you know, that's yeah. going to tell you how dependent you know, we shouldn't be called the earth. We should be called the water. You know, I heard or the yeah, Islands. Islands. Exactly. Um, but 
you know, so anyway, so that's one of these things where like, if you really start thinking about that and you start thinking about the future health of our kids and, you know, the possibility of, you know, nuclear war and, and chemical war and all these terrible things that could occur, you're just like, wow, we need universal principles to guide us. And we need to agree on what those universal principles are. And we need to shoot for high ideals and a worldwide sort of um, action on, on all levels, on eco- ecologically speaking, spiritually speaking, politically speaking. You know, and again, it's, it's easier said than done. You know, it's, 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 it's terribly challenging to think about how do you get all these people that think they're the diversity to start thinking like the unity. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a challenging problem. And it's not like he says, it's not one of these things where you can just shout it from the rooftops. Hey, we're all a unity and get people all on board with it like it's a new movement. He's like, it's a little too subtle for that. And this is, again, where philosophy comes into play. This is how we can share these ideas. We can share We can we can get our own house in order and start to understand and, and get in, in, in harmony in our own self. Right radiate that out and then start sharing teaching these lessons acting out as if we're part of a unity modeling that for other people um and so on right well he even says it's difficult centuries must pass before the body of society will be sufficiently sickened of the vanities it supports to be inclined toward Mm -hmm. integrity Mm -hmm. so I don't know if he's going back to Bacon and saying centuries from there, but maybe centuries from the early 1900s. I hope he's. Um, but centuries yeah, have already yeah, passed, exactly. you know, and maybe the way things have accelerated um, with globalization and, uh, you know, mm-hmm, digital mm-hmm. revolution, communication, things, you know, the world's you know, become small, quite yeah, a bit smaller yeah. uh, than it was. I mean, air travel wasn't even a thing mm-hmm. in 1929. Uh, it, was, it was a daredevil thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, hey, Lindbergh made it. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. You know, uh, <laughs> it wasn't, oh, geez, mm-hmm. I had a layover at Heathrow on my way to Singapore. You know no, what I mean? Sure. Like, it's, yeah, didn't have that. Um, that, uh, But centuries have passed, and I think we've mm-hmm. accelerated. I mean, there's, you know, there's always a time for this. And um, this may be idealized, and well, that'll be the day. Well, I'd like to see that when mm-hmm. everybody comes together. Uh, But really, you know, when he talks about the individual in this, uh, I think he's pointing to each of us within ourselves. You know, if there's this relation to, you know, a government and a global government, um, and we have this unity, we're all brothers and sisters, not only do we belong together as family, you are me, I am you, you know, we are so that's how connected Mm -hmm. we are, you know, I breathe out, you breathe in, uh, that there's uh, inseparable uh, continuity. Um, What is it like inside each As an individual, right? Yeah. As an individual, don't we have borders and and don't we have parts of ourselves fighting and bickering or trying to develop a consensus? or uh, rules that we have set up that we violate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think this relation, you know, as above and so below or without and within, you know, when he's talking about global governance, he's really talking about globally, how are we handling ourselves? What What is driving our you know, motives and inspirations to think and speak and act? Uh, is it a philosophic? part of ourselves or are we the despot or the tyrant or the you know take you know what i can get you know just don't take mine um you know having that kind of an attitude because really the government is no different than the group of individuals that puts up the government or at least puts up with it Uh, but what is it in in the individual how can you know these concepts of unity how can we have internal uh singular unity as hard as it is to have unity with, you know, all the people and all the, everyone else I disagree with, uh, even hate, perhaps, uh, how do you have that within yourself? And, and can you have one without the other? I would say no, but um, it may be hard to 
put a United Nations together that is benevolent and philosophic and always looking out for the best in everybody. Uh, how are we doing that for ourselves? That's a great point because you, 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 you made, you, you said something there that really made me think it's like, how, you know, indeed, how, if we cannot get our own house in order, philosophically speaking, and get our own parts of ourselves in line with, a, you know, with a, with a unified ideal, with a unified sort of field, as it were, governing it, how are we going to manifest that in the outside world? Um, you know, and that's, that's the thing is that these, these the leaders that are needed are those individuals that are, are wise. And how many wise individuals do we have in politics these days? Hmm. That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just going to let it, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm <laughs> just, just answer that it. all on your own. And so, um, yeah. you know, so, but how do we, how do we prepare? And, you know, this is one of the things he's talking about too, the continuity of generations and, you know, this idea of this chain of life and so on. And he says, you know, for example, it says today is the hope of the world here. And now we are welding the great chain of tomorrows, which extends from the instant to infinity. We live not for ourselves alone, but for all futurity, our, accompli- our accomplishments survive us for long after we have descended into the earth the orders which we have established shall dominate the activities of men. So he's talking about the, you know, the shoulders of giants that we stand on, but he's also talking about what we do with the information and the wisdom that they have given us. And he's also talking about what we're leaving behind for those next generations and what we're teaching people now. And, you know, today is the hope of the world. He says, that's how he starts this whole chapter out. Today is the hope of the world. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not next week today. Yeah. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it's a call to action. It's like, you know, and I think he would agree, especially if he saw the state of affairs of the world today, particularly ecologically speaking and politically and educationally and socially, just all the divisiveness that's going on. We need to understand that unity behind all of this so much more now than in ancient times when things were a little bit less complicated and a little bit less connected in terms of the world, globally speaking, and so on. You know, if we don't recognize that fundamental unity, we are really in danger of, of destroying ourselves very quickly, very quickly. You know what I mean? And it's these centuries that he speaks of, hopefully he was talking about centuries ago, and, you know, we're the culmination of that centuries ago, you know, happening now, because I don't know if we have centuries at this point, honestly. I, I, yeah. Well, we know right if we don't now, do something not soon, soon not we may not, we may not, not get soon. to to That's have centuries. That may we're be, late yeah. already in the game. They were talking about this stuff in the '60s and '70s. Yeah. These ecological crises, these economic crises, yeah. these uh, educational issues, and political scandals, and all of these things that seeds were sown. You know, after World War II and 40, 50, 60 years ago, even 100 years ago at the beginning, you know, and 200 years ago at the beginning of the early Industrial Revolution, all this stuff, you know, these seeds were being sown. And now we're in mm-hmm. the, the thick of it. You, you know what I'm saying? And again, it's not all bad. I'm not trying to say, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is so terrible. I'm just saying we are at such a dangerous point in time where we need to be so much more intelligent and so much more connected. Uh, than we are to be able to survive into the future. And it seems like, you know, we're dumbing down. Like, look at people's comments on social media. They don't even bother to punctuate or spell things correctly or form a tangible idea or a clear idea. It's like, it's like monkeys banging on a keyboard, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk when I say that, you know, but it's like you, you look at some of the things that people say and you're like, wow, this is the future. This is where we're headed. I mean, watch that movie Idiocracy that Mike Judge did. We're, we're almost worse than that. You know what I mean? I, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and again, I'm not trying to, to you know, to, to, you know, bust on everything and technology and people and what they're doing and say, oh, everything's terrible. What I'm saying is that we're at a pivotal time. Time, the time is of the essence mm-hmm. for us to get our shit together and fill, right? Well, speaking of unity this consciousness, that's, that's getting it together. That's getting it together. And I so, think you, you know, nailed you it. Can, 
in every way. It's get your order. shit together. Get your house in order. Get yeah. your ducks in a row. Every kind of you sure. know, allegory or <laughs> you can you can come up with because each of us individually have to look at ourselves as an individual uh, whole yeah. unity. And that's that's what healing is. Healing is wholeness. Yeah. The word comes from to be yeah, whole yeah. is to heal. Uh, we are not healed because we are not whole. And I think before we can really expect the whole world to come together, clasp hands and sing Kumbaya together, um, we need a little bit of that in our that's, own. That's a great point. House. I mean, it's, you know, it's, and are, don't, don't we have sure. conflicting parts? You know, I want, yeah, I want a political outsider. I don't want to deal with these lifetime politicians. And then it's like, well, then Bernie comes up and then Trump comes up. It's like, well, they're outsiders. And you're like, well, yeah. Um, you know, and there's, you know, so many, I believe in, you know, global warming, but I don't understand how some carbon trading scheme that if I write a check to some tree planting company, I can fly my private mm -hmm. jet and that's okay. Does that make sense? Uh, what about the, you sure, know, what about the sure. oceans or something? You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's, we have, you know, should I wear a mask? Well, I don't want to breathe my CO2, but I want to protect yep. people. And yep. it's like, well, they say this and they say that. And I don't, Mm. There's there's so much confusion, so much division within ourselves. A lot of it is because we live in a confused world, and we take that. Well, it's in designed that's how to discombobulate. We can you, get some, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Um, and and we need that in sports, and I don't think we need it as much in politics. Mm -hmm. I wish we didn't have it as much in politics, but um, but you know, to, to have a competition or a friendly competition or something, you know, you have to have, you know, the, a, the red shirts versus the blue shirts or something mm -hmm. in a basketball pickup or something. But, um, but within ourselves, well, that's, that's, enter that's entertainment. You know, we have to there has to, to be integrity. The idea of entertainment and story and, you know, opponents and good and evil and all those things we have to understand, like, those are, those are, those are ideals and mythological conceptions. You know what I'm saying? And so it's fun to watch sports and it's fun to have mm -hmm. a winner and it's fun to have someone that, that loses. And it's, you know, it's, and it's, it's fun for us to compete against each other, but that's on a level of, of entertainment. When we think about life, mm -hmm. um, you know, competition is, especially today, it really is not the efficient way to go about things. And he makes, you know, Manley Hall speaks about that. He talks about a cooperation as necessary. This idea of just ruthless competition, I do not think it's going to get us where we need to go in the future. That's my opinion. And I think that's Manly Hall's opinion, too. And not, not even his opinion, but his belief, his sincere belief that cooperation is necessary. You're, and you're right. I mean, it's a challenging thing to, to go from, you know, this guy's my enemy to, hey, I need to work with everybody. But you know, that's a shift in consciousness that has to happen on, on, you know, within ourselves. So if we can do that in our own life and start to think, well, yeah. you know, I don't like this guy's ideas. I don't like his policies. I fundamentally disagree with him. But yet at the same time, I have to work and cooperate with this person. So how do I do that? How do I do that? Mm, yeah. You know, and that's again, that's a that's a question that everyone's going to have to answer in his or her own way. But. Well, it may be possible to have two conflicting things going on in your life without them taking each other out. If they can be held in opposition, mm -hmm. in tension, um, you know, it, two possible. things, you know, may be true. I think uh, Jesus in the New Testament said, uh, render unto Caesar uh, that which belongs to Caesar, render unto God that which belongs to God. I, I look at it as like, you know, you go to work, you know. And the boss asked me for eight hours and then I come home sure. and I got my life, you know, or, mm -hmm. or some version of that, you know, the Caesar, you know, versus God or the head and the heart or something for your soul. Um, you might have to do both. Uh, but internally, you know, you still have to be, I guess, the God man in, in that metaphor that maybe when you go to work, you're given to Caesar, you got to pay your taxes, you got to, you know, stand six feet, you know, you're doing all that. That's what you're doing for that. And you're, you're playing along with it. But that doesn't wreck your integrity on who you are mm -hmm. as a person in your core and what you believe and what you do. This is like almost like a role you have to play, you know, to, well, to participate. Paul said you can be in the world, but not of the world. And that's another way of looking at it, you know. Right. Good one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, in that sense, it's like, yeah, we're, we're participating. And, 
you know, I, I, Joseph Campbell talks about that quite a bit, you know, people would ask him, well, then, you know, if all these things exist and this world's this, you know, uh, this, you know, this horrific thing that exists and all these, you know, terrible things are going on, how do I, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I live my life? And he's like, throw yourself into it. That's all there is, is life, you know? It's like you, you just, you just have to be, but you have to realize that there's a there's it's a it's a play you know it's a there's a there's a spiritual reality behind it that's that's eternal and that this you know this life itself is is temporal you know it's 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 time-based whereas like spirit is is eternal it's outside of time it's infinite um and and we participate on both levels at the same time and that's where i think where you're talking about that tension living within that tension realizing that there is a spiritual side to ourselves and there's a temporal side to ourselves and material. There's a, there's a, you know, a spirit oriented or divine side. Um, and we live in, in that, that dichotomy. And I think that's what the, we've talked about this before, but I think that's what the cross represents. I think that's what some of the, some of the symbolic meanings of the crucifixion are, um, you know, beyond the actual you know event itself, but the, the symbolic meaning for, for humanity at large. Uh, so, you know, we do live in in that tension. And so if you can, you know, if you can realize that you, this is where, again, we'll go back to that point, you can realize that unity while you're participating in the diversity and act as if you're, you're acting from unity consciousness in your uh, experiences with others, even if there's conflict, it will minimize the conflict and perhaps even it will create a sort of yin yang of of the ultimate compromise where it is this it's not a compromise it's actually a a taoist kind of flow that happens out of that tension that would be the ideal right and that's again this is an ideal so we're shooting for ideals here and that's what philosophy is about but if we don't shoot for ideals we end up slopping around in the mud you know and people are like well you got to be realistic you got to you know you got to you got to be focused on reality well, I mean, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Or you shoot for um, spiritual ideals and you try to be better. Like, you know, like the Greeks, they're, you know, this beautiful proportions of their buildings and these beautiful sculptures and wonderful artwork and philosophies and genius. That's the, those are the ideals. Was life like that in Greece at any time? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was probably closer to that. But they idealized yeah. and moved towards that. And that's the real lesson.